Hello again, everybody. It's Ken Meyer. Welcome to another edition of City Talk. And my guest tonight is a gentleman that I wish you all could meet. He is one of the most engaging people I have ever met in my years in broadcasting. He has been a talk show host, uh, and he is an author. And he has written a book about his mother called The Lucky Strike Papers, and his name is Andrew Fielding. And Andrew, it's great to have you on this program. I've looked forward to this for a long time. So have I, Ken, and thank you for that uh, extremely kind introduction. It's uh, such a pleasure to be with you, and I hope you're doing well today. I am doing well, and I hope you are as well. I am, now, thank you. Your mom performed, in, a, in my opinion, a golden era of music on both radio and television. But take us back. How did it all start, and how did she get involved with Kay Kaiser? Did she learn to sing in classes in school, or how did all that happen? Actually, uh, she, well, she was born in uh, Indianapolis, but uh, grew up in uh, New York City. And she was singing from a, a very young age, uh, probably 14, 15, 16. And uh, uh, she went to uh, Syracuse University, um, and in addition to her studies, she also sang with uh, some orchestras while she was at uh, Syracuse. This uh, is in the 1940s. And uh, actually did some radio work in uh, Syracuse, appeared on one Syracuse uh, radio station. I think it was every morning uh, singing on the, uh, the radio station. But she did some theater at uh, Syracuse, one of the plays she was in. Uh, the, the, another performer she uh, starred in in the play was another Syracuse student, uh, Jerry Stiller, who obviously later went on to be part of the famous comedy team of Stiller and Mira. And after she got out of Syracuse in 1948, um, she got an audition for a Broadway review. Uh, this is now the fall of... Uh, uh, 1948. She had actually graduated college at the end of the summer of 1948, kind of, I guess, uh, crammed it in there, uh, graduated uh, a, a bit early. Um, and so she had an audition for a Broadway musical review uh, called Small Wonder, uh, which was already uh, on Broadway. It had been uh, on Broadway for, I guess, about a month. It starred uh, Tom Ewell, um, who was perhaps... Uh, is perhaps best known for The Seven-Year Itch, the film he did with Marilyn Monroe, and lots of terrific performers uh, in, uh, in the play. She was uh, uh, in the play with Alice Pierce, who uh, uh, later was one of the stars of Bewitched as Mrs. Kravitz. Uh, there was a musical comedy performer named Mary McCarty, who was one of the stars of, uh, of Small Wonder. Uh, Jack Cassidy was in uh, Small Wonder. So she was, uh, uh, she sang in Small Wonder. The, uh, she joined the cast in October of 1948. Uh, she was also the understudy to three of the, the stars of the, uh, the play. And actually she understudied Alice Pierce and Alice Pierce uh, took ill one, uh, uh, one day. And so she actually had to uh, uh, take over uh, Alice Pierce uh, her role one night uh, for one night uh, in uh, in the play. Um, the play lasted until January of 1949, and at that time she was 
well, I guess she was had thought of continuing uh, in the theater, but another performer in the theater had started singing on uh, a television program on the Dumont Network, which uh, is no longer around. It, it went, uh, uh, it, it stopped uh, airing in uh, ultimately in 1956, but it was one of the four television networks uh, at the time. And she started singing uh, every morning. She went down, had an audition on the show, actually auditioned by singing on the show. Uh, as again, her friend uh, from the Broadway show had uh, told her there was an opening uh, on this show. And so she started singing on this show uh, uh, every day. It was called the Stan Shaw Show. Uh, he was a big disc jockey uh, in uh, New York, had been known for a program called the Milkman's Matinee for some time uh, in the, I think, uh, 30s and 40s, if I'm not mistaken. And from there, she went to another show on the Dumont Network that featured her. It was a show called Teen Time Tunes, very alliterative. And she sang on that show five nights a week with a small, uh, with a musical trio. Um, and that lasted for uh, several months on the Dumont Network. And uh, by the way, the show that preceded her every night on the Dumont Network in New York uh, was the Small Fry Club with uh, uh, Bob Emery, who would later take uh, his show, his television work, of course, to uh, Boston uh, in the early 50s. But this was 1949, and he was a big star on the Dumont Network, one of the first really big stars of uh, early television, one of the first really big, big uh, children's hosts on the television. So she, uh, they were back to back every night uh, for this period of time on the Dumont Network. Uh, very quickly after that show, uh, my parents had met at the time and my parents got married in the summer of uh, 1949. My father was in his medical residency in New York. Briefly in the fall, my mother uh, joined a musical variety show on uh, CBS as one of the Ray Charles Singers, the well-known vocal group that was around for years with Perry Como and uh, uh, they released a lot of albums on their own over time. So she was one of the Ray Charles singers on this show, Inside USA with Chevrolet, which starred uh, Peter Lynde Hayes and Mary Healy. That show was on uh, every other week on uh, CBS. And after that, to bring it up to the question you asked, pardon the long, uh, uh, the long amount of time getting to it, uh, she auditioned for Kay Kaiser's television show. This was uh, uh, late in 1949. He was coming to television, had been a huge band leader uh, for many years since the early 1930s. Um, and he was coming to television as were a number of uh, big band uh, uh, outfits. Uh, the big band era was kind of fading at this point, but a lot of bands were coming to television at this sort of tail end of the big band era. And so she was chosen as one of the featured female singers on Kay Kaiser's band. It was an hour-long show every week on uh, uh, NBC, Thursday nights. And uh, Michael Douglas was the show's male vocalist. He later became uh, Mike Douglas. There was a, a vocal group on the program called the Honey Dreamers, uh, dancers on the show. There was comedy, musical quiz. Uh, my mother would sing on the show. They would kind of mix straight performances in with a quiz and comedy and routines. And that's how she got to Kay Kaiser's program. That ended uh, at the end of 1950, a year later, actually uh, two seasons of the show over a period of uh, a year. 
And then she went on to other programs, including uh, Your Hit Parade and other programs. But that, uh, that's sort of a quick summary. She appeared on uh, television in New York from essentially 1949 until 1952, when my father was offered work uh, uh, in Boston. Uh, he was now no longer a resident. He was going into medical practice. My parents moved to Boston, and uh, my mother became a performer on radio and television in, uh, uh, in the city of Boston. Now, just out of curiosity, yeah. did your mom sit down and, and, and tell you all this? Or did you have to research all this stuff? Because, I mean, this, that's an incredible story. Did you just say to her one day, Mom, how did you get here? <laughs> well, that's actually a great question. It's sort of an involved question. Because this started, for me, uh, one of these, you know, peculiarities of, uh, of things you become interested in. Who knows what the, the particular triggers might be. But when I was growing up, um, there were a number of photographs on uh, the wall of our family den in suburban Boston. And some of these photographs were of my mother's network television career. Uh, pictures of her with Kay Kaiser, with uh, the singers Dorothy Collins, Eileen Wilson, and Snooky Lanson from uh, Your Hit Parade. Uh, after she was on the Hit Parade in New York, she was on a local uh, New York show, which starred comedian Maury Amsterdam. And there was a picture of her on the wall with Maury Amsterdam. And so these pictures uh, interested me as a child. Occasionally in the 1960s, my mom used to uh, go on the Mike Douglas show. As, uh, as I mentioned earlier, they had been on the Kay Kaiser program together in 1949 and 1950. And when he became a really quite a big uh, a television talk show host in the 1960s, um, my mom would come on periodically, and actually my mom and dad would come on uh, together. My dad had written a book at the time uh, about childbirth. He uh, is now a retired obstetrician and gynecologist, but he'd written a book about childhood in the 1960s, and they would go on Mike Douglas together, and he would talk about obstetric uh, matters and about his book, and my mom and Mike Douglas would would sing together and reminisce about uh, being on Kay Kaiser's show. And I watched those shows and I had mentioned the, the, the pictures that were on our wall. And I suppose it was a combination of those kinds of things, seeing my mom on television, talking about this previous era years before, you know, sometime several years before I was born, combined with these pictures I had seen on the wall of the family den. And so I, I did start asking my mother questions. Who are these people? Um, uh, to tell me about this. And then as, as a, uh, an eternal browser of sorts, I would, you know, go through the closets of our house as a kid in the attic. And I came up, uh, upon all these different uh, newspaper stories, a whole stack of things, uh, uh, magazine articles, television scripts, all of the things my mother had saved from her network television career in New York. And so I started going through all this stuff. I must've been, I don't know, maybe 10 years old, 11 years old, 12, something like that. And so again, to answer your question, I would see these things and I would ask my mom questions about it. You know, tell me about this. What was this all about? And so she would, she would tell me stories about it and I would, uh, uh, you know, keep asking questions. <laughs> I think 
over the years, I think it maybe perplexed her just a little bit because I got more and more and more interested in it. And the, her records, 78 records she recorded with uh, Kay Kaiser were there, which I found at, uh, in our house and I'd play the records. And so I kept talking to her <laughs> about this subject to her over the years. And I think, you know, she was, you know, kind of curious, like uh, about the extent of my, you know, interest in this, but she was very patient and yes, uh, kept answering my questions. And when it turned out I was 21, the same age that she was when she was singing on Kay Kaiser's show, I said, well, I'm going to write something more about this. I had started writing, uh, had published a few articles, and I said, I'm going to write something about this. And so I talked to my mother some more. I went through all her artifacts again and started interviewing all sorts of people from her television uh, past. Um, and that's how the, uh, the, that was the genesis of, uh, of, the book, uh, uh, the, of the book that I wrote, which originally came out in 2007 and uh, was re-released in 2019 as a, uh, in a revised version. So it's, pardon my complicated uh, 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 answers to your, uh, your fine questions, but uh, it is sort of, uh, it, it is kind of, for me, a sort of complicated sort of chronology, you know, starting early in childhood, kind of peculiar, you know, I'm just gazing at these pictures and, you know, going through these, these articles and listening to the records. And I was really just taken by them. I was taken by the sounds of the records, the, 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 the big band era, this, this really this mixture of two eras I was encountering in these artifacts and records, sort of the tail end of the big band era. I loved the big band sound, even as a child. And and reading about early television in these TV magazines she saved. And so it, it just triggered something in childhood that, uh, you know, has, has stayed with me all this time. And uh, it ultimately ended up in a book. I finished the book in the 1980s, actually. It didn't get published. And then uh, uh, many years later, probably 2005, I said, you know, I'm going to uh, really rewrite this. And my mom had passed away in 2001, in May of 2001. And I decided to go back with the material I had finished a number of years before, rewrote it, did more interviews for it, and it eventually came out on, uh, on the small press, which focuses on popular culture, television, radio, movies, Bear Manor Media, uh, the publisher who, as I'm sure you know, has published uh, several books by Mel Simons, published a book by Morgan White Jr., and so I'm just very proud to be one of uh, Bear Manor's uh, authors. And uh, they, they published just the kind of thing that I had been writing about. Nostalgia, old-time radio, television, uh, uh, books about television, movies, all that kind of stuff. So it was a good fit with Bear Manor. When was the first time that you realized that your life or your mom's life was something special? Well... That's an interesting question. I, I don't know if it was that, I mean, everybody, obviously, uh, every family is special. Every family has um, uh, uh, incredible stories uh, about the, the roots of their families. Uh, you know, if, if the family came to the country uh, 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 from another country, there's wonderful family lore in so many families about, you know, where did you come from? Uh, talking to one's grandparents. Tell me about the country that you lived in, where you grew up. Uh, tell me, uh, mom and dad, uh, how you met. 
where you were living, where you grew up, all that kind of stuff. So I think we all have these kinds of stories of family lore and our family roots. And I guess part of what intrigued me so much was that this was kind of part of my, I don't know if heritage is the right word, but this, this particular part of my mother's life uh, was now affecting my life. And I, I was obviously, as I mentioned, quite drawn to it, um, uh, perhaps because of the, the, the sounds of the era, the musical sounds. I had some uh, recordings or my mom had some recordings, which I guess I sort of took, you know, <laughs> I was sort of taking everything and she didn't mind. You know, I sort of gathered up all the artifacts and uh, 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 started going through them. But this was family heritage, family uh, history to me. I, I guess I knew that there was something, I mean, when I grew up, she was a Boston television personality and uh, mostly in my early years, in the late 50s, 60s, she appeared a great deal on Boston television. So I knew that she was on TV in Boston and on radio in Boston. She did, you know, just a, a zillion commercials over the years. She became a voiceover performer in the 1960s. And that career lasted for, you know, something uh, about four decades uh, until just about the year before her death. Um, so I knew she was around. I knew so many times when I would turn on the radio uh, uh, day to day uh, growing up, you know, there she was on the radio constantly with commercials. I used to watch her on uh, TV shows that she would uh, make guest appearances on in Boston. Um, and there were these national shows occasionally that she was on. She made one appearance in the 60s on the Merv Griffin show and made these several appearances on Mike Douglas's show. And I, I suppose that it was those Mike Douglas programs in which they were talking about this network uh, experience that they had shared together in early television. I sort of uh, was getting the sense that this was something, you know, particularly, at least to me, particularly interesting it's something that people were still talking about a couple of decades later, or maybe, well, this was, uh, the, her career in New York ended in 1952. This would be the 60s, so a little over a decade earlier. Uh, people were still talking about it. At least my mom and Mike Douglas were uh, talking about it on television. So I said, well, there's something here that's of, at least to me, particular interest. And so uh, I, I don't know if that answers your question uh, precisely, but... Um, I was aware very much of the fact that she was in Boston television, um, but it was more intimations when I would see her on Mike Douglas or come upon these old records uh, or listen to the old records that I did have a sense there was this other period before my parents moved to Boston that um, was uh, in a different sort of realm, the national realm that she had been in, which she didn't talk about a great deal. Um, but uh, it, it was sort of there in the background and it, uh, it intrigued the heck out of me and, and still does. I have not lost that, that particular fascination with the era. So if I understand it right, you came to, or they came to Boston mm -hmm. because of your dad's work. Correct. Now, was it difficult for her to leave the show? In well, other words, she, did yeah. she want to, did she say, geez, I, you know, maybe we can, work something out where I can stay here and commute to Boston or anything like that? Was it no. hard for her to leave? Uh, well, th there's a mixed answer there. And it's funny, I did ask her this 
maybe in the past, the last, somewhere in the last several years of her life, we talked about this. Um, she was happy to go to Boston. She had been on the hit parade until the end of the 1951-1952 television season that was on NBC. Then in the fall of that year, as I mentioned a little while ago, she was on a Monday through Friday morning show with Maury Amsterdam, with the, uh, the, the musical group was led by Milton DeLug, uh, who was the band leader on one of TV's, perhaps the first late night television show uh, in the early 50s, a Broadway open house with Jerry Lester. Um, so, th and this was a local show in New York, which I find so intriguing that they were using a, a big network performer like Maury Amsterdam on this local show every morning on WNBT. Um, it later was changed to WNBC, the uh, local New York NBC station. So she was on that local show every morning. Then my parents moved to Boston. And she did uh, tell me that it was difficult. She, um, very soon after moving to Boston, um, started singing on a local Boston radio show uh, hosted by someone, uh, a personality named Carl Moore. It was a show called Beantown Varieties on uh, WEEI, which I think is a radio station you will perhaps recall. <laughs> <laughs> Very much so, as a matter having, of fact. Having been on the station yourself. Yes, for, that's for right. Um, yep. But she sang on this show, Beantown Varieties. Later, she moved into Boston television. And she did tell me, she said it was a little difficult having been on a number of network television shows um, for this period of uh, four years. In addition to that local show uh, in New York, it was called Breakfast with Music. It came on every day after the, uh, the Today Show, but again, it was just a New York City show. But she had done a number of network shows over those four years, either as a regular performer or as a featured uh, starring performer on the, on, on the programs. And she said, yes, it was, it was an adjustment. Um, it was just different, she said, going from the, the very high pressure kind of um, uh, uh, milieu of, of network television, live network television uh, uh, shows, and going to something on a much, uh, I guess, a much smaller scale in, in Boston. She did find it to be something of an adjustment. My mother was hoping that my father had been uh, considering taking work in Westport, Connecticut um, with a medical practice before my folks moved to, uh, uh, to uh, Boston. And yes, she had hoped that he would take that job because then she would have been able to continue doing her work in New York, which was not all that far away. But my father wasn't able to do surgery as part of this medical practice. He was new to being a doctor and it did not involve doing surgery. He wanted to do surgery. He did, uh, you know, become a surgeon as part of his work. So the Westport job for him was not the right job. And it, I don't, I can't say from talking to my mother that it, that it broke her heart. Um, I think she was happy to go to Boston with my dad. She knew uh, from the beginning because of the, the career that my dad had uh, as a physician when he was in his residency when they got uh, married in 1949. I think she knew right from the beginning that there was a very good chance they would have to leave New York. 
I think she was disappointed that it couldn't have been Westport, uh, say, in Connecticut, so she could be right nearby. But I think she was, you know, quite happy to move to Boston. She loved working in Boston. She got used to uh, the 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 television and radio experience in Boston and did a a very popular show in 1954 and 1955, the Sue Bennett show on WBZ uh, in Boston, her own show. So I think she enjoyed it very much. And in fact, when she was doing the Sue Bennett show in uh, Boston in 1954, your hit parade called her, Dorothy Collins, who was really, you know, one of the, the, the biggest stars of the show and was on the show for many years. Um, uh, and Dorothy Collins, who my mother had worked with, and Snooky Lance, and Dorothy Collins was taking a maternity leave. And th there was articles I found about this when I took all these articles from my mother's, uh, you know, desk drawers and closets and all that kind of stuff. The hit parade asked her to come back uh, for the period of Dorothy Collins's maternity leave. And she would have had to commute to New York uh, every week uh, to do the show. My brother had been born the year before, so she was now a mom, and she just didn't want to do it. Um, it was just too much, the idea of racing back and forth to New York uh, to do the hit parade for, I guess, about 13 weeks while Dorothy Collins was uh, taking maternity leave. So she turned it down. So there was really two instances where she had left New York with my dad, came to Boston, and ended up being she loved Boston and loved in particular her voiceover career, which lasted for decades. She just, it was a joy to her working all the time, uh, constantly doing voiceovers for many years. So I think she came to really love being in Boston. There was that curiosity, uh, even when I spoke to her several years before she died or a few years before she died, it wasn't, uh, she didn't feel terrible about leaving New York. There was more of a curiosity she was curious to know, huh, I wonder what would have happened if we had been able to stay in New York. But I don't think it was any, you know, she didn't look back on her career and feel great sadness that she gave it up. Uh, I think she had expected something like that would happen from uh, the, the, the time my parents uh, got married uh, in 1949. So, you know, she wasn't brokenhearted is what I'm saying. But I think she was curious. She did say to me, I wonder what would have happened, just where her career would have gone had, she, had they stayed in New York or near New York. Well, as luck would have it, we just happened to have, thanks to you, uh, a recording <laughs> of this marvelous talent. And I will let you introduce this, this little segment of the program. Well, thank you, Ken. And it's very kind of you uh, uh, to play it. Um, it's a song uh, that came out on Columbia Records in 1950 when she was singing on Kay Kaiser's television show. At the same time she was on the TV show, she recorded a number of records uh, with Kay Kaiser's orchestra on Columbia. Um, and a couple, a few of them she recorded were with uh, Mike Douglas. They did a, some duets and she did some solo records uh, with Kay Kaiser's band. And this is 1950. It's a song that was from a movie in 1950 called The Duchess of Idaho, which starred uh, uh, Esther Williams, uh, Van Johnson, uh, Connie Haynes, and in the movie, Connie Haynes, the singer who had been very big with uh, Tommy Dorsey and was a well-known singer for many years, she sang this song in The Duchess of Idaho. 
and the K Kaiser Band, along with several other groups, by the way. Records at that time used to often be recorded by a number of different uh, musical outfits. I think, uh, um, trying to remember who, I think uh, maybe Charlie Spivak, if I'm thinking of it right. I think his band might have recorded a version of this song, Let's Choo 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 to Idaho. Um, uh, the 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 performer whose name just uh, slipped my mind. He was married to Alice Fay, and they were uh, Phil Harris. Phil uh, Harris, yeah. His band recorded this uh, same song. That often happened with records at the time. Different orchestras would record different songs, and this song, "Let's Choo 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 to Idaho," features my mother and the vocal group, the Campus Kids, because Kay Kaiser's whole uh, the 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 atmosphere of Kay Kaiser's act was a collegiate atmosphere. It was the radio show and his stage shows and his television show. It was Kay Kaiser's College of Musical Knowledge. And so the vocal group was called the Campus Kids. And so this is my mother, uh, Sue Bennett, with the Campus Kids from 1950 singing Let's Choo 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 to Idaho. Okay, Brett, hit it. talent what a wonderful talent it must make you feel very warm and very proud inside whenever you hear that recording or hear your mother with it that sure orchestra does. it sure does and and thank you ken and and brett for playing that i appreciate it a great deal yeah i mean uh, you know you asked earlier we were talking about sort of the 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 reasons uh you know uh, and i often think about this you know why have i been so interested in this uh this era for so many years and part of it is just what you said i mean i used to love listening to my mother sing um enjoyed her 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 voice her musicianship uh just enormously and so i just liked listening to her uh, the records she made she did a lot of children's records too uh, in the 1960s on peter pan records but uh, uh, loved listening to her with the big bands. Um, I have these wonderful recordings that she was given at the time she was on the hit parade um, of, of her singing songs on your hit parade, which folks might remember was, uh, you know, the, the top hits of, uh, of the week sung every week and dramatized every week on television. And I have these just remarkable, uh, very crystal clear uh, recordings that she did that they were performed live on the on the hit parade television show and I always just loved listening to her singing uh, the the mixture of her vocals with the incredible orchestra on the hit parade that was led by 
the brilliant musician Raymond Scott. It was called the Lucky Strike Orchestra because it, you know, the radio show was also known as the Lucky Strike Hit Parade, and it was informally known as the Lucky Strike Hit Parade when it came to television as well. Though I guess the official name, both on radio and TV, was Your Hit Parade, but it was sponsored by Lucky Strike. And I used to just love these, listening to these recordings, the great big orchestral sound. Uh, my mother, and it, so fascinating, these recordings of the hit parade. You can hear, because um, again, these were live performances. You hear the performers walking on the stage or uh, you can hear uh, sounds in the background. You can't see it because they were, uh, these are just audio recordings. But again, they dramatized the songs, and if the songs were on for 20 weeks, they dramatized them differently, you know, each week to make it new and interesting for the viewers. But you can hear noise in the background, people walking across the stage or, uh, you know, maybe opening a door or something, you know, whatever the scene was that was being dramatized. And so it's fascinating to hear not just the song and the orchestra, but you're kind of imagining what is, is going on. Uh, some of the, uh, the songs, I, I have a sense of what was going on by looking at the the scripts uh, that are some of the scripts that I have from the hit parade, but you're hearing this uh, other noise taking place, which is the performers performing on stage live on television in the, in the early fifties. And it's fascinating to listen to them. My life is kind of reverse. I, I, my parents were not in show business, but when I was on the air on Saturday nights on WBZ, my parents used to be able to pick it up in Rochester and they would call me the next day and critique the program. So it kind of worked in reverse, but it was still great to have my parents know that their son became a, a success and, and you were able to find out that your mom was a success. Well, that, now, must have been a, that must have been a thrill for your parents. I mean, WBZ with its incredibly powerful signal, um, uh, it must have been a thrill for them to hear your voice coming through uh, the radio. And that must have been, uh, I'll bet, uh, I don't know what kind of critiques they gave you, but I'll bet that was thrilling for you, the fact that they were, I, got, I don't know, I guess giving you notes over oh, yeah. uh, uh, what, what was, had taken place. I'll bet that was really exciting for you. It was great because my dad would uh, turn on a tape recorder and and the tape would run for a couple of hours and they would get up in the morning and listen to the broadcasts and they would be especially interested when for example we would have an author on uh, my dad would read a particular book onto tape and then send it up to boston oh, wow. and when we were we were going to have the author on he would definitely either stay up or or tape the program so but he, rec those he were... recorded the books for you though yep that's wonderful yep that's now, wonderful what what made your mom decide was it was it illness that made her give up her show business career in Boston, or oh. did she just decide this is I've had enough I want to stop? Well, no, she never really did stop. She did give up the the television. She did a few television shows in Boston uh, as host. She was the host, as I mentioned, of the Sue Bennett Show on on WBZ TV yeah. Channel Four in 1954 and 55. She it's a great, the, a great catchy title, by the way. I like that title. <laughs> the Sue Bennett Show. Yeah. Um, and uh, by the way, the producer of the show at the time was a man named Chet Collier. And Chet Collier uh, later left, uh, he, he left WBZ. This was the 1950s. I don't remember when he left BZ. It could have been 
late in the 50s, maybe early 60s, I can't recall. But he ended up at a station in Cleveland as I think, I think his title was the program manager in Cleveland. And Mike Douglas uh, then came to that station when he started uh, his television talk show. It started out in Cleveland at the yep. station which, in which, uh, at which Chet Collier was one of, uh, one of the executives. And when my father's book came out uh, in the early 60s, he called uh, uh, Chet Collier because Chet Collier had been my mom's producer uh, on the WBZ show. And uh, he said, you know, I've got this book out. I'd love to, uh, you know, uh, uh, be on uh, uh, Mike's program. And so Chet Collier told Mike that my father was coming to be on the show. This was 1962. And Mike Douglas said, he's coming on the show. Have him bring his wife, you know. So <laughs> my parents both came. And I actually have the, the videotape of that, which is fascinating to watch. And uh, Mike Douglas, uh, I think you told me uh, recently that I think you either interviewed him when he was appearing on a show at Channel 4, but what a charming, uh, easygoing uh, performer and uh, a television host, a wonderful style with his, as you discussed a couple of days ago, as you mentioned when we spoke about this, he introduced this concept of the weekly co-host. But you watch uh, uh, Mike Douglas today on YouTube and he still, his relaxing, friendly, easygoing style with incredible guests, uh, it holds up. He had a, a just a, a, a very easygoing, uh, appealing kind of television uh, uh, persona, or I shouldn't say persona, it was a talk show, but uh, uh, just his personality. And I loved how he used to come out. I think he opened every show singing a song, if I'm not mistaken. But... Uh, there was a great uh, television personality, but back to your question. Um, uh, so my mom then hosted uh, a show with uh, the great Rex Trailer in 1956, a Monday through Friday show after the, the Today Show. It was called Morning Playhouse uh, for a time. That was in 1956, the year I was born, several months after I was born. Then she went to Channel 7 in Boston and for a few years hosted a, a movie show called Cinema 7 every Sunday afternoon. Uh, was a popular show on uh, uh, on uh, WNAC-TV in Boston. And then for several years, she did sing in Boston and uh, did guest appearances on uh, uh, various uh, Boston programs. But she uh, then really moved into uh, voiceovers. And so that became, uh, from the 60s until about the year 2000, she, again, she passed away in 2001, uh, she initially, for the first couple of decades, worked just constantly uh, doing uh, commercials, and then still a great deal for the last, uh, I guess, the following 20 years. It's about 40 years uh, altogether, maybe, uh, maybe 35, 40 years. Um, so she never retired from performing. It just moved into this different area of being a, a voiceover performer, which she just loved. She loved going into the the recording studios in Boston and doing commercials and then going to another studio, doing some more commercials. Uh, so yeah, she, her, her career just really changed from uh, voiceovers plus some TV on-camera commercials. Uh, didn't do singing as much, but did occasional singing uh, over the years. Now, my parents were never in show business. My mom worked for Bausch & Lomb for quite a while in Rochester, and my dad was a carpenter. 
mm-hmm. and worked for the Ritter Dental Company. But I always was fascinated by being in front of an audience and wanted to be in front of a microphone. Was, was your mother's career something that inspired you or were you like me just bitten with the bug of wanting to be on the air because you have done some, some professional work in large markets? Um, I don't think I was ever, well, I did, you know, I played music for a while, did some guitar, piano singing, but that was just kind of informal coffee house kinds of things when I was in college and did some performing in high school. But uh, I really moved very quickly into writing uh, uh, in high school, early college, uh, continuing after college. Um, So no, I didn't really think about going into performing. It was mainly sticking to writing. But there was a period in the um, 1980s where I was living in Philadelphia and did become a stand-up comedian for about five years. Now that's that's difficult work. My dad had actually been a stand-up comedian uh, in during his college years and uh, a bit afterwards. Um, so I did stand-up comedy. That was quite difficult. I think it took me about five years to realize that there was one really important component to being a stand-up comedian. And that was you had to be funny, okay? And <laughs> I'm not sure how funny I was as a stand-up comedian. So, but it was from being in comedy. Um, that I got into radio. I had asked, was asked to be a guest on a radio show in Philadelphia, a talk show, because I was, uh, they wanted a local comedian on. And somebody actually just ca- had to cancel another comedian. They said, hey, can you fill in for me? One of these weird uh, chance kinds of uh, experiences. And I went on this radio show and it actually went quite well. So they brought me back as a once a week co-host for a couple of hours on this radio show. And then I started moving into radio and began hosting in radio in Philadelphia and uh, suburban Philadelphia, then went to Virginia for a time to host, uh, to be a radio host, Um, then came to New Jersey to be a radio host and have done some other radio work. But I never, um, I never really was going to follow in the steps of my mom as a, as a singer say, Uh, although, you know, when you have these kinds of fantasy jobs that you would like to have. I do have to say that uh, for me, singing with a big band, and I'm sure it was at least in part inspired by my mother's work. I remember as a child also loving the movies like the Glenn Miller story with, you know, the singers and the big band and all that, that kind of stuff. Always did want to be a big band singer. That hasn't happened yet, but maybe, (laughs) maybe, maybe there's still time to do that. There aren't too many big bands working today, but you know, I think the Glenn, Glenn Miller, my, I can remember seeing the Glenn Miller Orchestra with Buddy DeFranco in, in Rochester several years ago. And, and I meant to throw this in. When you mentioned Milton DeLug, I remember him on Treasure Hunt with Jan Murray. I didn't remember that he was on that. So uh, he was so, a very talented gentleman, Milton DeLug. And boy, I interviewed him a few times uh, in, uh, I guess, two thousand five or six and could not have been nicer and uh, just extremely talented. He did a lot of work in early television. Uh, I had not remembered. I don't think I knew that he did that show with Jan Murray, Um, but just a a very talented gentleman uh, uh, was also for many years. He was the musical director for the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. That uh, went on for uh, years until uh, 
I think just a couple of years before he died, uh, uh, a few years back, but uh, a tremendously talented uh, uh, individual, Milton Delug. Now, um, in the next couple of minutes, because unfortunately we're going to have to end this interview, but in the book, you talk about some of the early days of TV and you talk about some of the producers like uh, a gentleman, is it Barry Lafferty, I believe? Uh, no, Perry Lafferty. Perry Lafferty. Um, on one hand, it sounds tough because he said to you, you know, we, we really couldn't hire a director because we didn't have any directors and we had to do it on our own. On one hand, it sounds difficult, but on the other, it sounds like a marvelous time to have been around. Uh, no question about it. Um, I talked to Perry Lafferty in 1981. I was in California doing a number of interviews for the book, and he was an executive at NBC at the time. Uh, he had previously been an uh, executive at uh, CBS, um, but he had done a lot of producing and a lot of directing over the years. He directed a few episodes of The Twilight Zone, by the way, um, as, as, as one of the many uh, directorial uh, credits uh, uh, to his, uh, in terms of his uh, uh, career, also did a lot of producing. But what he said to me was that this central idea in, in really early television was that he said, this is a quote, nobody knew anything. Nobody knew anything. He said, I'll actually read you the quote. He said, um, there were no television directors. He said, you, you couldn't call up and hire a television director because they didn't exist. So people had to become television directors. And so he told a story in another book about uh, uh, early TV, uh, a book by Max Wilk called The Golden Age. I think, of, I think it's The Golden Age of Television. And uh, he was working in, in radio and uh, he was at some executive's office and they apparently needed uh, somebody to direct a show. And the executive was talking to someone on, on, on the phone and said, oh, I've got the, just the guy for you. And he pointed to per Perry Lafferty. And evidently that was Perry Lafferty's first job in television. He said, yeah, you can do it. You know, you, you'll be the director. And he had never done television directing, but he was the producer on the Kay Kaiser television show. Um, the director of that show was a gentleman named Buzz Kulik, who um, is perhaps best remembered for the 1971 or 70, I can't recall, a television film, Brian's Song, uh, that got such a great deal of attention in the 1970s. He was the director of the, uh, uh, the Kay Kaiser show. And he said to me that, you know, it was a wonderful, marvelous, exciting uh, era, though he said the era could be very difficult when microphones would fail or cameras would fail in the middle of the show and you had planned everything out meticulously. Um, and suddenly these technological problems would happen, a, a boom mic overhead. You mentioned the Honey Dreamers, the vocal group on the Kay Kaiser show. They were singing once and the, the boom mic right over their head just completely failed. And so they're singing, but nothing's coming across on the television. And he had to send out a floor, a, a stage manager or a floor manager to go on the stage and take the microphone off this and bring a new one on. And the guy's kind of tiptoeing and he's tiptoeing in front of the camera. He's tiptoeing, you know, he just didn't run on and run off. He's like tiptoeing on, then he tiptoed off, but you know, to replace the microphone that had suddenly failed. 
But Buzz Kulik said that, uh, to address the other part of your question, that one of the things that early television might have done is it perhaps gave a chance because you know, they, they needed producers, they needed directors, they needed writers, performers, singers, uh, uh, comedians. It probably gave a lot of people a chance to show their wares perhaps earlier than they might have been able to because it was a, such a new medium and they were you know, trying to fill up the schedules, trying to, well, let's see, what can we put there? What can, Sid Caesar told a story in his uh, original uh, book. He wrote a few. I think you interviewed Sid, Sid Caesar, if I'm not mistaken, but. No, I, I did not, unfortunately. Oh, you did not? Okay. I tried. I tried like crazy when he came to Boston, but. Uh, oh, okay. I thought you had interviewed him, but he said. No, I in, wish I had. A very talented man, but he said in his yep. book, when they came to him from NBC, they said, now, wh what do you want? We can give you an hour here or something like this. This is a poor paraphrase. We can give you 90 minutes here. You know, they're, they're going to him and said, they're trying to fill up their schedule and they're offering him all these different op opportunities. And they were just looking for shows and talented performers. And so as Buzz Kulik said, you know, maybe a lot of people got to the chance to, uh, to get in kind of on the ground floor, maybe sooner than they would have been seen uh, you know, uh, or, or become known under other circumstances. But it gave a lot of people uh, this great uh, entree and a lot of stars were made on uh, television in, uh, in its early years. People who got a break in early television and became, you know, nationally known uh, quite quickly. Well, I'll tell you, I, uh, I wish that I had known your mom and I That's wish that I would have had the, the pleasure of interviewing her. I'm sure she would have been as entertaining as you. Well, thank and you, uh, I, I think when people look at books on the era of old radio and old television, that yours should be amongst the top ones for people to read. Well, that's uh, kind of you. Very kind of you, Ken. And it's, it's been such a pleasure talking with you and such an honor to talk with you. <laughs> uh, no, you're, you're great. And I, uh, I really appreciate it, Ken, and thanks to Brett as well. Well, I, I appreciate your taking time to do this. Again, the book is called The Lucky Strike Papers, and it's the story of the career of Sue Bennett, who was part of the K. Kaiser College of Musical Knowledge and also your hit parade in Boston, I mean in New York, and um, just, I'm sure, a, a great read. Andrew, I, I can't thank you enough for doing this. I really appreciate it. As I told a gentleman named Gene Hartigan, who was former chairman of the Republican Party a week ago, you are, as he was, an interviewer's dream. Oh, and I, I love it. I love asking the question and just sitting back and reveling in the answers. Thank you, Ken. And I, th I thank you very much for doing this. And that will also do it for this edition of City Talk. Good night, everybody. Wow, wow. Choo, 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 choo.